Isn't that an amazing story? It's just how 2020 was so difficult for so many people, and yet out of the difficulty of those circumstances, God was able to work at such a profoundly transforming work. Thank you, Jen, for your courage in sharing your story, but also your vulnerability in being so open with us. But did you notice the word that Jen used there, or the phrase, rather, she used a couple of times? She said, when I was willing to put in the work, If you've ever spent any time in Celebrate Recovery, they'll talk about that often, putting in the work. It's this idea that, yes, God does the work, but in my response to God's work, I need to put in the work. And what's often missed in the book of Proverbs is that Proverbs is a book that encourages faithful believers to put in the work. We read Proverbs as a a book of pithy little sayings, and I like pithy little sayings. In fact, I've got 76 of them that God has spoken into my heart that I've made a record of of for many, many years. And I go back to that list over and over again, and I remind myself of what God has taught me. But you know, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs is actually supposed to be taught expositionally or exegetically. There is real meat in this. And at the heart of this is, listen, put in the work. Your response to God's work is to put in the work. And what Jen's story shows us is that if we are willing to put in the work, God's work, God's transforming work, can do abundantly more than we ask, think, or imagine. So we're on week number two of this series, Good Vibes Only, and today's message is entitled, A Proverbs Life. If you don't know what I've done there, take out the hyphen and you realize what I did there. Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a proverb book. It is an active book. If you have your Bible, look at Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to show you how Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is just from chapter 1. Proverbs 1, looking at verse 1 through verse 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in, instruction in prudent or wise behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Pastor Mike last week did a great job in showing us what the fear of the Lord means. It's not to live in fear of God, but it's ultimately to live in close communion and fellowship with God. But did you notice the verbs in there? If you didn't, there they are. Gain, gaining, understanding, receiving, doing, letting, adding to, and getting. This book of Proverbs is written so that we would understand our part in God's work. 
in order to be wise, there are things that we should do. And what we're going to do in this message, I'm going to just spend some time unpacking those words in the context of the entire book, and you realize that the author, Solomon, didn't just put together a whole list of axioms, proverbs, and write them down, just as was typical in every ancient culture of the day. No, he actually realized that if a person would read the book and do what the book says, specifically put those seven verbs into practice, their life could be filled with God's presence, which we are calling God's good vibes. Again, Pastor Mike shared that these axioms aren't promises so much as principles. They're principles that we put into play. Now, as you look at that, clearly then, if there is so much that we need to do in order to live wisely, Wisdom does not come by default. In the same way, if you look at these actions after the word doing here, the kind of scene shifts. The first part of this is what any person needs to do in order to acquire wisdom. It talks about being simple. Simple in Hebrew is not somebody who's a simpleton. Simpleton in the Hebrew speaks of someone who is gullible, who has no moral compass, and even someone whose life has until this point been really driven by evil inclinations. They have basically done things and they find themselves in a situation where they think there is absolutely no hope, which is where Jen and her husband were 12 months ago. There's a part of this that's directed to, hey, this is what we need to do in order to be wise. But after that, listen, add to, and get are actually instructions given to a person who thinks that they are wise and who thinks that their life is on the right track. You see, there's a problem in the church. Often the problem in the church, and I've done it myself, is I present the message of the gospel that makes sense to someone who's struggling. The challenge in the gospel is how it makes sense to you when your life is so comfortable that you don't think you need anything else. What Proverbs tells us then is that circumstances are essentially neutral. Circumstances are neutral. Whether you are struggling or whether you are sailing through life, the reality is wisdom is needed. And sometimes the biggest problem in the church is that we find it very difficult to apply the need for wisdom, the need for God to those people whose lives need nothing else because it's good. And so the direction in Proverbs, the first part of this is, look, if your life is messed up, there are certain things that you can do to acquire wisdom. And just like Jen's story shares, once you put these principles, these wisdom principles into practice, your life is transformed. It also applies, however, to those people for whom life is great. But there could be so much more because our circumstances 
are simply neutral. And if they are neutral, our circumstances are only based on fact. And whatever the fact is in your life, fact, a fact is only a friend if you face it with faith. And so these, these actions apply to each and every one of us. But the reality is, none of us are wise by default, and therefore, none of us maintain, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not maintain your wisdom by default. Action is always required. A number of years ago, Vipka and I bought a, our first home in Germany. And we bought this old home. I think it was built in like 1947, just after World War II. And we kind of realized how old it was when I wanted to turn one of the rooms into an office for us at home. And uh, I took down some of the kind of boarding, the paneling, and I found straw walls behind it. Straw walls. I was like, man, this house is old. The couple we bought it from were the Hildebrands, Mr. and Mrs. Hildebrand. They built the house, and after the offer was accepted, they kind of realized this house has got so many quirks to it that uh, it would be good to know, uh, they thought it would be good for us to know what the quirks were. So they invited us around to the home to take us on a tour of the house to find out the quirks of the home. Well, when we went around the home to do this, Mr. Hildebrand spent an awful lot of time around the pond. The first time we went in, I didn't notice anything because the pond was frozen over. But the second time we went in, the frost, the, the, the ice had started to melt, and I saw not just fish, I saw koi. Mr. Hildebrand stopped and pointed to, a, pointed to a number of those fish that were actually worth a lot of money. He actually told me that he asked his wife to take them to their new home, but they were moving to an apartment, and a pond in, in an apartment didn't work well. And so he said, uh, Mr. Reese, I want you to note that these fish are worth an awful lot of money and you better take care of them. Honestly, that put the fear of God into me because, friends, I don't have green thumbs and I certainly don't have fish fingers. I really don't. <laughs> and so I looked at this and I said, Mr. Hildebrandt, I've got no idea what I'm doing here. Uh, these fish have lived with you for a long time, and I want to make sure that they live when we're in here. So I made another appointment with him. I went around with my notebook, didn't have an iPhone back then. Can you believe it? It's only like early 2000s. There's no such thing as a phone to take notes on. So I went around with my book, and, and I just asked him to explain everything to me about keeping these fish alive. And I'm pleased to say, after years and years in that home, I only lost one of them, and it wasn't expensive. But what that told me was, listen, things don't live within activity. Things live when there's action. Keeping those fish alive wasn't going to happen by default. In the same way, our life is only truly going to be lived if we're active. And so part of the key in Proverbs chapter 1 is realizing that when we embrace a Proverbs life, we're making a huge step towards living a fulfilled life. Action is required. Wherever you find yourself in life on your spiritual journey, whether life is a struggle or whether life is successful, the reality is a proverb's life. Doing something is really important. There is a sense in which no one can live wise if they're sitting there and letting life happen. If you want to be wise, you can't sit there and do nothing 
Solomon says, you have to sit there and do something. These seven things, Solomon says, are really important to living a fulfilled life. So let's just go through these seven verbs, just so we make sure that we have an idea about what they mean. Firstly, we have the word gain. Gain, this is the first verb, it's the word yada. It means to know and to speak of an ability or a discovery. This is where wisdom starts. It begins with gaining something. The word is used in a number of ways. It speaks of being conscious or aware of a fact or a specific piece of information. Now, where does verse seven tell us that wisdom begins? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. The first discovery that is necessary to live a fulfilled life is to realize that God is real, God cares for me, and to respond to that truth. That's the first and the primary discovery. Now, you'll see here that that word gain is used a number of times in the book of Proverbs. It's also used over 550 times in the Old Testament. I thought better of putting 550 references on the screen for you. Gain to gain. It means that I gain knowledge mentally, experientially, or practically. This is what the word means. If you're going through a season in life, which is a struggle, there is something about your life and about your context and about your actions that God wants you to know. That may well be a mental truth that you need to perceive about your situation, about you. It may well be you don't know how to do something. God wants to give you the knowledge. It may well be experiential. You've never been through this before, and you have no idea what you're doing. A faith in God, the fear of the Lord, gives you access to knowledge that you wish you had and that you could have. Let me give you a couple of examples here. The righteous care for, that's that word gain, the righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. Notice that the righteous care for the needs of their animals. We came back from vacation and we saw a bird had put a nest above our post, well, it's above our light outside our door, laid three eggs. This was before we went on vacation. We came back and the three eggs have now turned into little chicks. It's been amazing to see that the mother bird go down to the little bird feeder, get the grain and actually feed the birds. The bird cares for, the mother cares for her chicks. The righteous people know how to care for their animals. The question is, how do they know it? Because they have gained the knowledge they need to do it. They've gained the knowledge they need to do it. This kind of behavior of the righteous contrasts with the behavior of the wicked. In the wicked, for the wicked, she gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she doesn't know it. She doesn't know it. Her path is so aimless because she has not gained the knowledge that she needs to live wisely, and living wisely is the key to living fulfilled. Gain. You see, when you step into a relationship with God, you gain access to the one who knows the beginning from the end. You gain access to what you need, and through Jesus Christ and the gift of the Spirit, the Spirit reveals to you what you need. This is the way it works. 
If you think about it, Mark 3, 14, great example of this. We read there the simple statement, Jesus chose 12 disciples. Then it says, he instructed them. What? He gave them the knowledge, okay, truth, experience, He gave them the knowledge and the skills that they need, and then he sent them out. Notice the progression here. He brought them close. He instructed them, gave them the knowledge, and then he sent them out. What does this mean? For any kind of activity, closeness precedes sentness. Closeness precedes any kind of activity. So the idea in Proverbs is this. Listen. No one can become wise in their own eyes because the problem is if we try to do that, we're like the woman in Proverbs 5, 6 who wanders through life aimlessly not knowing that we actually haven't got what it takes. We gain wisdom through closeness. This is the idea. We gain it. Uh, Secondly, here we see this word understand. Understand is the word bin. It means to discern, to pay attention, to consider, to realize. Now, this word speaks of perceiving an idea or a situation mentally. I hope you see the progression here. Jesus drew the disciples close, Mark 3, 14. Then he instructed them. He gave them information that helped them discern what was necessary. And then in a certain moment, they discerned They perceived the situation, their calling, in a very specific way. You can see it's used a lot of times in Proverbs. It's used over 150 times in the Old Testament. One of the key ideas for me is this one, Proverbs 29, 19. Look at this one. This is remarkable. Servants cannot be corrected by mere words. Though they understand, they will not respond. Though they understand, they will not respond. You see, it shows us that all too often in life, we can receive information, but we can't do anything with it because we have not perceived the truth of it. What's interesting is that this proverb that we're looking at is a sweeping statement. Remember, it's a principle. It's not a promise. It's a sweeping statement. And this sweeping statement is based on the idea that anyone who maintains the mentality of a slave will never act as a son. Anyone who maintains the mentality of a slave will never realize the freedom that there is in becoming a member of the household. Slaves were basically often unresponsible, uh, unresponsive and irresponsible. Now, if you think about this, what the Old Testament is saying is, look, for someone to truly be able to take the information and to do something with it, it's not simply a shift in mentality that's required, it's a shift in identity. They need to abandon their idea of sl- being a slave and embrace the idea that they are sons. Only when you embrace the idea of sonship, daughtership, 
Being a part of the family of God, Solomon says, will you be able to take information that is good and put it into practice? You see, there's a mentality shift that's needed. And don't we see the same thing in the New Testament? Don't we read over and over and over again how the New Testament writers, Jesus included, told us, hey, in order to get there, there needs to be a shift in state. We see this in John's Gospel, John 15, but one of the most powerful ones is this, Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are are his child, God has made you also an heir. Read the entire text. God wants to give you the knowledge that you need to live life in a way that is totally fulfilling. And he's going to give you truth that you may well be able to understand, but unless you embrace your position as sons and daughters of God, like the person in Proverbs 29, 19, you may well be able to understand, but you may never be able to respond. As you think about this, let me ask you this question. This idea of understanding shifts to a perceiving an idea, a situation in a completely new way. Let me ask you, how easy is it for you to change your perspective when you feel completely overwhelmed? How easy is it for you to get sucked into this vortex of negativity? Do you know what's required here? For any truth of the scriptures to take effect, You need to get out of that negative mindset and you need to embrace the fact that you no longer are a slave to sin or the meaningless of this world. You are ultimately a child of God and as a child of God, God will take care of you. Proverbs talks about this. Shift in mindset that ultimately enables us to take something that we know to be true and to put it into practice. And again, this is our work in God's work. God makes this possible, but we need to respond to it. Let me keep going. Receive, lakach. It means to take, to grasp, to seize, to accept, to receive, to fetch, and to bring. God makes you his child. He brings you close to him. He starts to reveal things to you. And now all of a sudden, you need to determine, am I going to do this? You start to do this by changing your mentality from that of a slave to that of a son. And then that requires this idea of receiving, of grasping it, of fetching it, of bringing it into your life. This word means to receive Something given and offered willingly that can be literally, so someone can offer you a literal gift, or God can also give you a gift. It can be abstract or spiritual. This word occurs 86 times in the Old Testament, and as you can see here, it occurs an awful lot in Proverbs. God wants us to receive. God wants us to receive. It's interesting that what is often referred to in Proverbs is receiving direction, or often I call it redirection. Proverbs 4.10, listen to my son, accept, receive what I say, and the years of your life will be many. Listen, God is saying, if you would only receive what I give you, your years of your life will be many. Now, when we look at Proverbs, as I've said, this often, this receiving is not only of good things, sometimes it's also of hard things. 
So in Proverbs 3.12, we read that God disciplines those He loves. He's saying, receive my correction. In Proverbs 8.33, it says, listen to discipline and become wise. A key to this, when we perceive the reality of a situation, is that it often requires us to shift our perspective and then shift how we respond. Let me ask you, how willing are you to be redirected, either by the Spirit of God or by someone else? God redirects those He loves. In Proverbs, receiving is about also about receiving redirection. Any of you like receiving correction from another person? Anybody want to volunteer that one? I really, really don't. But you see, I've got a problem. My problem is that I'm basically a flatline guy. I, I don't, when everything's good, I don't go up much. When everything's bad, I don't go down much. I just kind of go through. And there's a lot of strengths to that. I can go through a storm, we'll be fine. Go through joy, that's good, but let's keep going. Keep foot to the floor. Don't pause to celebrate that much, you know, because then you can be complacent. That's all really good, right? But the problem with that is it, it actually can make me, and it, I recognize this, independent. It can make me proud. It can make me think that I don't need anyone because whether life is good or whether life is bad, I'm going to be fine because God's got me. I'm his child. And so one of the ways over many years that God has had to work this, this kind of positive that is a negative out of me is by making me realize how important it is for me to allow other people to redirect me. What does Proverbs say? Wisdom is found in the multitude of counselors. I'll be honest, it's not always easy for me to receive redirection. And so I've had to do a number of things. I've spoken about some things before. When an anonymous letter comes in from the church, I still say, why aren't, if you're man enough to write it, be man or woman enough to put your name on the bottom of it? But a lot of pastors, if there's not a name on the bottom of it, they say it's anonymous, I don't need to read it. What I do is I take it to the people closest to me and I tell them, say, hey, there's so many things wrong with this, but what's the one thing that's right with this? What's the one thing that I need to do? Or in other meetings, I over and over again to our team say, look, the problem with the lead pastor being in a meeting like this is that when I say something, you think that the lead pastor, the authority of the office is saying something, not Craig. And I want to tell you the falling Craig can be more stupid than any of you. So listen, when I say something that is stupid, say it's stupid. Maybe do it a little bit nicer than that, but say it's stupid. Why? Because in order for me to get wisdom from, through life, I need to allow other people to speak truth to me. And I'm, of a, I'm built in such a way that I can just go through life and I, don't, I think I don't need that kind of thing. That's a foolish thing to say. So God grants me the privilege of being a son, he, he enables me to receive truth about what I need to be doing. He gives me the capacity to, to shift my mentality, but he also wants me to receive redirection on the way. Let me ask you, how well do you receive that kind of redirection? Proverbs, as you've seen, is built on this. Wisdom is found in the multitude 
of counselors. Living a fulfilled life requires that we receive redirection. That doesn't mean to say that we give everybody the, position, the permission to speak into our life. Now, if God used a, a donkey in the Old Testament and he used a witch, he can use anybody. We need to listen. But that is more by planned happenstance in God's eyes than it is by choice. Find people who you can trust and allow them to speak truth into your life to redirect you. This is the way it works. I've got to go on. Four, do. Now, the word do here is actually found in Hebrew in the words itself. So if you have a look at the, the text here of Hebrews 1, it talks about doing what is right and just and fair doing what is right and just and fair. Those three words occur uh, again in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 9, doing what is right and just and fair. So the word do here that I'm picking up is tied to the, to the actions itself, right, just, and fair. So right here is sedek. It's honesty, justice, accurate, accuracy, and correctness. The word refers to an action that embodies an adherence to moral principles and the will of God. God wants us to live upright lives. Do what is right and just and fair. These are the actions that God calls us to. And as you can see on the screen, these words, right, just, and fair, doing these three things occur over and over again in the book of Proverbs. We need to do, we need to live this way. So you're seeing what's happening, right? It starts with a relationship with God that we embrace that ultimately God allows God to help us understand certain truths that we receive them Okay, sometimes means that the expression of what we do means that we go a different direction and we start to live this way. This is the promise for each and every one of us. I'm mindful of the fact that talking about wisdom here, and some of you may well be listening to this, either in person or online, and you think that your life up until this point is not characterized by anything wise at all. You may be living through the consequences of foolish decisions. But the good news in the book of Proverbs is, listen, just because you currently demonstrate or you have previously demonstrated an inability to act wisely, that doesn't mean that the truth, you can be wise and live wise, is false. What the author is basically saying is that at this point, you may not possess the skills, the information, the knowledge of what it takes to make the wise choice in the face of your challenging circumstances. So what do you do? You commit to pursue wisdom. You commit to draw close to God, and then God grants you, he gives you, you gain that knowledge that you need, practical, mental, experiential. You start to understand certain truths. In understanding those truths, you recognize that what God requires of you doesn't line up to the way that you're living, and then you commit to do. Listen, your life up until this point may be characterized by so much stupidity, and the consequences of it are obvious, but the good news in the book of Proverbs is your story doesn't end there. It begins there. And like in Jen's story, you can still turn your life around and you will experience God's redemption in a powerful way. This is the good news in the book of Proverbs. It's the good news of the gospel. So this, in a sense, speaks, these first four actions speak to the, to the simple, to the gullible. 
those who've had no strong moral compass, those whose lives have been focused on themselves, and the havoc of it is experienced everywhere. The good news is there's hope for you. But the next three actually start to talk to, to the believer. Talk to those of us whose life may be comfortable. And the warning here is do not allow your comfort to be a tool that the devil uses to push you further and further away from the God that you need to be close to. See, circumstances are neutral. Your circumstances may be bad, but if you deal with those circumstances in faith, God will yet work. But circumstances, even for those that are successful, are also neutral. But the problem is we often do not realize that our comfort drives us further and further away from pursuing the closeness with God that is required for us to be a part of using the blessed nature of our life to extend the rule and reign of God. And the problem is in many churches, people do not want to be challenged to get out of their comfort zone. Proverbs does this. Even Proverbs says, if you have lived a life that is not marked by being gullible, that you have that strong moral compass, that you basically pursue the things of God, wisdom is not maintained by default. You have to do something. So for those of us whose lives are comfortable, I put me in this, how Proverbs is your life? Are you, what are you doing? What are you doing to grow in God and what are you doing to bring God's word to the world? This is what God tells us that we need to do. Firstly, we need to listen. We're familiar with this Shema. We need to pay attention, to be alert. We looked at this in my father's world. We need to take care of. Take care of what? Take care of the things that God cares for. So Shema speaks to obedience, to carrying the meaning of, it carries the meaning of hearing and obeying. It's used, you can see a lot of times in Proverbs and it's used hundreds and hundreds of times, 176 times at least in the Old Testament. Let me ask you, are you listening to God's heart? Are you caring for what God cares for? If you are comfortable, what are you caring for apart from yourself? Next, once we start to listen, what we realize happens is God starts to add to. He starts to add to, yasaf. He starts, it means to increase the quantity, the quality, the size, or the scope of something. All of a sudden, something that seems small and insignificant when you start listening to God becomes greater insignificant. The, the meaning of it starts to just burn on your heart, and all of a sudden, you have this inkling that God wants you to do something, say something, be somewhere. And it, and it just starts to, starts to grow. This word is used 86 times in the Old Testament. It's used another, a number of times in the book of Proverbs. God wants us to basically add, add to, add to our wisdom. It's not maintained by default. And look at what happens when we commit to doing this. Proverbs 3.2, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart. Why? For they will prolong your life many years and bring and add to your life peace and prosperity. Friends, this is not a prosperity gospel here. These are principles, not promises, right? But the reality is we know this, that when God starts to speak, and a servant obeys, blessing always follows obedience. That's the way it works. That may well be material, it may well be circumstantial, but blessing always follows obedience. When God starts to speak to us and we hear it, 
and we start to do it, God says there is blessing that follows. Lastly here, there's a warning uh, to us all. This word get, it means to buy, to acquire, or to create. This word speaks to getting something or either of our own efforts or as compensation for what's being done. Now, the word is used 14 times in the Old Testament, and it's actually used a number of times in the, new, in, in the book of Proverbs. Now, here's what's interesting. What this word challenges is, where is our priority? Where is our priority? What are we really seeking after in life? And in the book of Proverbs, we are encouraged over and over again to make sure that prioritizing God and His wisdom for our lives is more important than anything else that we may think we need. The way the word is used often pairs it with a number of other things that other people deem to be important. So, for example, wealth. How much better, Proverbs 16, 16, to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver? So the question we're being asked with this verb is, what is the goal of your life? What are you looking to get out of life? Wealth or wisdom? Proverbs kind of warns us with this, buy the truth, don't sell it. Buy the truth, don't sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. You see this, right? It talks about what's the priority. Let me ask you, what is the priority for your life? Wealth or wisdom? What is the priority for your life? Uh, restored marriage or wisdom? What is the priority for your, for your life? Health or wisdom? See, Jesus says, pursue my kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. What is your priority? All too often, isn't it true, that our circumstances will often cause us to cry out for God. But the question is, when those circumstances have been righted, what do we want then? Something else? What I loved about Jen's story was how even though the marriage is corrected, right, being righted, even though the eating disorder, she says, is being healed, even though her husband's addictions are now being overcome, what did you hear in the story, her relationship with God? What did that story tell you she wanted? I want God. Let me ask you, what do you want? What are you battling right now? What are you struggling with right now? What do you want? Do you want this thing sorted? Or do you want God who can sort this thing? Again, circumstances are neutral, but God uses them. How is God using your circumstances not to give you what you think you need, but actually to bring you closer to the God who can meet those needs? Get. God says, get. Buy. By wisdom. Come to me. Jesus says it himself, takes on this role of wisdom and says, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you peace. That's not the absence of conflict. It's the totality of God's presence. And of course, there's Number of scriptures here, right? We look at what Jesus says. The opposite of getting is losing. So what has Jesus said? Jesus embodies this in his own teaching. Whoever finds their life will lose it. 
Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to those li- one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. You see what Jesus is doing here, right? So many people live to get that Jesus is saying, once you experience who I am and what I can do, you will realize that the best expression of that is not to live to get, but to live to give. And when you live that way, you start to live a fulfilled life. So for those of you who are struggling here, what do you really want God to do? Proverbs challenges us by wisdom. Draw close to God, and in that relationship with God, you will understand God to meet your needs. Now, there's another challenge, and as I've said, this is something that I've recognized. Circumstances are neutral, and all too often, the comfortable circumstances are the ones that are actually are often the most dangerous. I often say, when a person is struggling, how low do they need to go before they lift up their head and realize the one from whom their help comes from? But what happens when life is comfortable and everything seems great is that we are no more uh, really kind of passionate for living that proverb's life necessarily than the one that isn't struggling. Comfort is probably the, the enemy of a passionate spirituality. While we were, and we were on vacation for the last couple of weeks, and I've always wanted to go to Colorado, Vipka's been many times, and I wanted to go to Colorado because I just sensed after the last year, I just needed to go to my happy place. Well, my happy place is Switzerland, and they won't let me in, so it's just COVID, right? Um, so I said, hey, uh, Vipka, what about going to Colorado? And uh, she was like, sure, where do you want to go? And I said, I don't know, I've never been there before, so Vipka booked the whole thing. And I went to Colorado, and I looked at it, and the first place we went to, it was like, man, this part of Colorado is more like Northern California than, you know, the, the deserts than, than Utah than, than uh, Switzerland. And then we got to this place, and that was my happy place right there. I think it's Independence Parkway or something. It's like 30,000 feet or whatever it is. And I'm up there, and I just see the green, see everything. And I thought, oh, God, just let me stay here. So you can see the kids over in the far corner. By the way, this is a pano shot, right? So you know a pano shot, if you keep it on, if you got an iPhone or whatever else it is, you keep it on the yellow, it kind of stays flat. Obviously, I wasn't very good at keeping it flat over there, right? But I'm in that, I'm in that place, and I'm looking at this, and we were there for a while, and the kids said, are you ready to go now? And I was like, no. Let me stay here. After you go through a turbulent season, isn't it just nice to be in a place where you can just go and you can just be there? (laughs) And it's like, oh. And in that moment, I just sensed the Spirit saying to me, Craig, how Proverbs is that? See, when it's comfortable, especially if you've gone through a hardship, especially if you know how uncomfortable it is for anybody else, it's really easy, folks, for us to stay in our happy place. And you know what God is saying to us? God is saying to us, that's not the right thing to do. Craig, I need you to draw close to me. I need you to listen to me. I need you to be willing to allow me to add to your idea of what needs to be done. And and Craig, I need you to be willing to put me above everything else, even that. 
I wonder whether you're comfortable here and you're so comfortable here that your happy place right now is just where you want to stay. I want to say to you, that is not the kind of life that God calls his people to live. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? God's glory, Christ's glory was revealed on the mountain. (laughs) And they just wanted to stay there. And what did Jesus do? He takes them down from that mountain where his glory was revealed, and Jesus encounters a man whose son could not be healed by the disciples. He takes him from the glory, and he takes him into the trouble. And what is Jesus teaching his disciples? Look, circumstances are only neutral. They're neutral. God can be in all of them. And so my encouragement for you today, if you're struggling, don't allow your circumstances to overwhelm you. Live the wise life. Live a Proverbs life. If you're comfortable today, don't allow your comfort to kind of lull you into that false sense of security. Our life is not supposed to be lived on the mountaintop like that. God wants us to get off the mountain and to realize what He is calling us to do. And when we embrace that, that's how we live a fulfilled life. Now, I'm going to invite the the team back. I've asked them to to sing one song that really was burned on uh, my heart as I prepared this. It's a song we're familiar with. It's called No Longer Slaves. And the idea that really gripped me was whether you are struggling or whether you are just surfing on the crest of a wave, the reality is that what God wants to do is to draw us close. And we can become close. We can come close to Him because through the sacrifice of Jesus, We are no longer slaves to sin. We're in fact children of God. And I want you to grasp what it means to be a child of God. If you are struggling, if you are battling your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups, if you are just surfing on the clouds, flying above the clouds, it matters not because you are a child of God. And I pray that as we sing this song, you would just commit to living as the child of God that you have become, drawing close to Him so that He can teach you and reveal to you and guide you so that your sentness through this week would be lived with purpose. Stand with me. We're closing prayer, and then we will sing this song. Father, I thank You for the wonderful truth of Your Word that calls all of us to show our faith through what we do. And Father, what we do begins with the pursuit of you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And because we fear you, because we love you, I pray that we would draw close to you. And Father, as we sing this song, may we be reminded once again, of what you have done through Jesus to draw us close, that makes us realize, Father, that whatever struggle we're facing right now is actually neutral. Because faith faces those facts square in the face and knows that you will pull us through. And so, Father, help us to embrace this truth that we are your sons, we are your daughters, we have been bought with a price, and that we are no longer slaves to anything. Not slaves to fear, but we are, in fact, children of God. And may we this week live as the children of God that we are. In Jesus' name.